So uh, we're in the fourth chapter of Jonah today. Uh, for those of you who have been here for the last three weeks, we've been beating up Jonah uh, pretty good. But we're going to take a couple more swings at him before uh, today's over with. When you leave today, I hope you walk away with a couple of things. One thing is, is that God is a sovereign God. And the other thing is, God's going to get his way. God's will is going to be done. And it's so much easier uh, if we're obedient to his calling. It's so much either easier if we follow his way than if we get in his way. So the book of Jonah provides some fascinating insights into some of our own sinful human nature. Uh, we hear the key uh, this morning, you're going to hear the key reason that Jonah headed for Tarshish rather than Nineveh. Uh, Jonah was stubborn. Jonah was angry. He was judgmental. And he was resentful. And I think most of us have had those moments in time where we have held it against somebody else when we probably shouldn't have. You see, here's the good news, though. God will treat us the same way he treated Jonah. He listens. He explains himself. He explains himself to us through his word and through others. And he gives us second chances. And he reveals to us his heart. We can feel safe in telling God what's going on. We can feel safe in being honest with God about our feelings, about our feelings about others, about each other, about where we are. Because he's at work within us, individually and in relationships. If we're sideways, he's going to correct us. Jonah calls the conversation he had with God a prayer. And in the sense of the word, it was a prayer because he was communicating with God. But it was more of a complaint rather than communion of spirits. You see, he, Jonah had an attitude. He was angry. And we can admire one aspect of this prayer. At the very least, Jonah was honest with God. By speaking honestly, he opens the window into his own heart. And amazingly, inside this prophet of God was a black poison that tainted his perspective of the mighty work that God wanted to do in Nineveh. So as we read the scripture this morning, listen to the angry tirade that Jonah had against the master. And as we hear his words, we begin to understand why he has this anger. So grab your Bibles like your life depended upon it because it truly does. And we're going to be in the fourth chapter of Jonah. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. We'll be reading all 11 verses. But it greatly displeased Jonah that he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, God, was not what I said while I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to for forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. The Lord said, Do you have a good reason to be angry? 
Then Jonah went out of the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could, so he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to, the shade, to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed the scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up quickly overnight and perished overnight. Did I have compassion over Nineveh, the great city in which there were more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right or left hand, as well as many animals? You see... Jonah revealed the reason for his reluctancy to go to Nineveh. He really didn't want the Ninevites to be forgiven. He wanted them to be destroyed. He bitterly complained to God about God's very own desire to be merciful and compassionate to everyone. So you see, Jonah didn't understand that the God of Israel was the God to the entire world. So are you surprised when someone you dislike or you're struggling with suddenly says, I'm going to turn to God? In your view of God's love and mercy, are you self-centered as Jonah was? We must forget that we ourselves do not deserve God's forgiveness. No one deserves his forgiveness. It's his love that he forgives us. A sign of spiritual maturity is being truthfully thankful when you see anyone turn to God and commit a faithful following to him. So why did Jonah become angry with God's plan to spare Nineveh? You see, the people of Israel at the time, they really didn't want to share God with the Gentiles. And they had forgotten what they had been told. And they still had that same feeling during Paul's day. Again, they'd forgotten their original purpose as a nation to be a blessing to the rest of the world by sharing God's message to all other nations. They were to demonstrate how people were to live under God's leadership. And thus thus they would show God's love for each and every one of us. Jonah thought that God should not freely give his salvation to a wicked pagan nation. That's exactly what God does for anyone who comes to him in faith and repents. Today we see that Jonah was angry at the withering of this shady plant, but he wasn't angry about what was going to happen to Nineveh. He wasn't worried about what could happen to them. Jonah struggled to understand God's compassion. Jonah cared deeply for the small plant that he didn't plant. But he couldn't see why God had mercy on the people and the place that he had created with his own hand. Listen to these words with your heart. 
Jonah took God's mercy on himself for granted. And he questioned God's mercy for Nineveh. Have you ever been in that moment in time where for one moment you questioned what God was doing for somebody else? And I know on Sunday morning sitting in the sanctuary you're going to say, oh no, I've never felt that way before. But remember, God knows your heart. We need to cultivate the same passion for others that God has for all his creation. Sometimes people wish that judgment and destruction would come upon those whose evil actions are those that show a hatred toward God, and they demand immediate punishment. But God shows more mercy than we can actually imagine. As humans, we find it difficult to understand God's heart at times. He feels compassion for those sometimes we want to have judged. And you see, he also devises a plan for those who we want to be judged. And his plan that he devises is to draw them closer to himself. God loves everyone, no matter how evil or cruel they are. He longs for all people to give up their sinful ways and turn to him and find eternal life. So what is your attitude toward those who defy God and who are especially wicked? You want them destroyed? Would you, or would you rather have them experience God's mercy and forgiveness? Of course, again today, we want everyone to be forgiven. And we have no ill feelings toward anyone. But what about come Wednesday? What about when something happens at home? Or what about when something happens at school? Or what about when something happens at work? God spared the sailors when they pled for mercy. God saved Jonah when he prayed from the inside of the whale. God saved the king and the people of Nineveh when they repented and turned to him. God answers the prayers of everyone who repents and turns to him to find eternal life. God will always accomplish his will and his desires for all people who are to come to him, to trust him, and thus to be saved by him. You know, we can be saved if we begin to heed God's warnings to us through his word. If we respond in obedience, God will be gracious, and we will receive mercy, not punishment. And that doesn't mean, though, that we're not going to be corrected, and some of that correction may be a little bit painful at times. You see, Jonah, the reality for Jonah was that he was prejudiced. He was a hyper-nationalist. He did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would have mercy on his enemies. He did not want their repentance. He wanted their doom. Quite contrary to the spirit of Jesus, who tells us we should love our enemies. He was not about to bless those used to curse him. So Jonah was a hardliner. He thought God was too soft. And so he goes outside in this chapter to sulk. Does that remind you of anyone in the New Testament? You see, Jonah is the same as the brother in the prodigal son story. The lesson's the same. Often people do not like the free mercy of God. It calls their supremacy into question. 
Wouldn't it be horrible if during World War II, God moved the heart of a Nazi soldier to go into the Jewish ghetto to spread good news? What could it make of a nationalist, an American that is angry about things that are going on in this nation or going on across the world and God places in their hearts to send them to Afghanistan or to China to spread the love and the mercy that he has for people everywhere. You see, God loves to show his his people his love and his forgiveness. So as his people, we should live out Micah 6, 8. We should do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. As it is implied in the word mercy, there's no racial or ethnic or national barriers that disqualify a person from God's love. We should walk with humility. So speaking of humility, let's look at Jonah here in this fourth chapter. And just beginning in the second verse, we're going to hear how many times Jonah says, I, and his pride begins to slip out. In the second chapter, he said, I said. He tried to correct God, but the Lord didn't listen. Jonah had lectured God when the Lord initially called him to preach to Nineveh. He informed God of two facts. Nineveh deserved judgment, and Jonah said, I'm the wrong guy for this job. How often do we see in Scripture where someone says, you know, that's a great plan, God, but I'm, I'm not it. Uh, you can start with Moses and just go through the entire Bible. Jonah wanted God to conform to his wishes. He didn't want to conform to God's. Why would he, or why would we, believe that God doesn't know what he's doing? Or why do we believe or think that God is not calling the right person to a particular ministry or to a particular task? And also in verse 2, he says, I fled. You know, when God refused Jonah's request, the prophet took matters into his own hands and he ran. He refused to participate. His confession clearly revealed his heart. We see still today, when God commands us to do something, it is not a suggestion. And he wants us to reach out to all people. Yet so often we reach out to those that we feel are more like us or we reach out to those that we believe they will understand us, we don't want to get too far out of our comfort zone. We don't want the challenge to be too big because we don't think we may be able to handle it. And with that thought process, you begin to make your God a little smaller than he really is. We ignore our calling. And when we ignore our calling or when we come up with an excuse as to why we can't do something, we are disobeying God. Also in the second verse, Jonah says, I knew. Jonah was mad because he knew God was always good. In fairness, Jonah finally did grasp the greatness of God's love for a sinning world. He knew that God is merciful to the guilty. He knew that he was compassionate to a weak humanity. He knew that he was slow to anger, even in the face of sins. He knew that God is rich and faithful 
unlove and love those that are unloving, he knew that he was willing to relent from sending judgment on those who repent. The truth is that Jonah was trying with his wishes to get on the same level with God. God, let's do it my way, not your way. So he was mad because he couldn't change God. Couldn't change his attitude towards sinners. Those he hated God loved, he refused to see them as God saw them. God saw them as candidates for grace. And then in verse 3, Jonah says, take my life. You see, Jonah valued his reputation more than God's. He petitioned God to take his life to save his credibility with the Jews. His reputation was more important than his compassion for those perishing in their sin. Jonah's self-centeredness and pride was showing. He didn't want to be embarrassed, even if it would mean God got all the glory. You ever made a decision about self without considering the effects it may have on others? Now, some might argue that eventually Jonah got the message from God. Yes, he repented and submitted to God while he was in the fish. But pride and prejudice, like all other sins of the flesh, when, they retur- when we return to them, they become inflamed. In less than 40 days, Jonah was back to his old self. Outwardly, he was obedient, but inwardly, his heart was hard and he was rebellious. We must always guard against returning to our old nasty pig pen that we've been living in. In other words, Jonah's complaint against God's goodness reveals his misplaced, ungodly, and deep-seated values. We see Jonah had run from the job of delivering God's message of destruction to Nineveh. Then he wanted to die because he knew the destruction wasn't going to take place. How quickly Jonah had forgotten God's mercy for him while he was inside that fish. Jonah was happy when God saved him, but he was angry when God saved Nineveh. Jonah was learning a valuable lesson about God's mercy and forgiveness. It's not only for Jonah. It wasn't only for Israel. It extended to all that repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. Verses 4 through 9, the plant reveals Jonah's divided heart. Jonah had not yet learned his lesson. So God continues to teach him. In verse 6, he's working on him. Just like God had mercifully appointed a fish to save the rebellious Jonah, now he appoints a plant to give the sulking prophet some shade. God is very, very patient. And he is also incredibly wise. He next appoints a worm to kill the plant and ruin the shade for Jonah. Then he appoints the wind and the heat to make Jonah miserable. Jonah has two responses. First, he's angry that the shade is gone. And then he tells God that he pities the plant. God has him right where he wants him. God's response is basically this. Jonah? You pitied the plant. You didn't labor over it. You didn't make it grow. It came and went in one night. God goes on to explain, Jonah, I did labor over Nineveh. I did grow it. 
I have been working in Nineveh for years. Shouldn't I pity over its 120,000 people and all its cattle? Shouldn't I be angry if this city falls, fails to give me glory? Yet you're angry over a planet that no longer gives you shade. Who do you think gave food to the cattle and the wisdom to the calves of how to nurse from birth? Was it not I, the Lord? God didn't want the cattle to go up in smoke and judgment. He wanted them to be enjoyed by a repentant people. He created them to to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. He's telling Jonah, forsake your prejudice, your nationalism, and follow me. Basically, he's telling Jonah, you owe me your life. In Luke 6, 36, we read these words. Therefore, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. What would happen if suddenly the church had a great revelation? What would happen if the church moved in a very radical way? And I know there's some of you that just heard the word radical, and you're beginning to think, wait, what does that mean? Well, if God's moving the church in a radical way, will it be bad? Some would rejoice, but yet some would leave. We are mistaken if we believe that all of God's people celebrate the moving of God. For that matter, we might hear some of the following complaints. They may complain about the influx of new people coming into the church. They may become judgmental as to where they came from and why God's bringing them into the church. I know we've Never heard that in churches before. Some would be moved because the fear of loss of power or influence in the church. There would be the lack of trust or authenticity of those coming in, maybe. Concerned about the changes that might affect personal comfort levels that we're so used to. Or maybe there would be a division between the old and the new members. You see, most of these statements, most of these thoughts are a revelation. They reveal the true heart of the person speaking. And that's what chapter 4 of Jonah pictures, the reality of that. In my years as a police officer, I've met a lot of hardened criminals. And knowing so many of their brutal actions, believe them to be cold-hearted monsters. But in doing prison ministry, we hear from those mothers and grandmothers, those fathers and grandfathers, those brothers and sisters that pray for those that are incarcerated. So often we hear from neighbors that are just absolutely appalled because they said he was a good person. He was quiet. He kept to himself. He was a nice guy. How can a person demonstrate Radical personalities like that. Well, it's a divided heart. And while he was not an axe murderer, Jonah also had a divided heart. On one hand, he was God's spokesman for morality. 
But on the other hand, he was full of hatred and contempt. And God knew it. God then used the plant to show Jonah his heart. As we read about the plant, we are reminded that God is sovereign over all things. Over all things. So as we read this, notice the word appointed in the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, God appointed the wind and the waves to shake Jonah. God appointed the fish to carry Jonah. God appointed the fish the time to spit Jonah out. So God is sovereign over all things. So as all this is going on, who is in control? God is. But who was Jonah to think that he could control what was going on or he had the right to be judgmental over a people? In verse 5, which is the weight that Jonah has, He's hoping that God will change his mind. The 40 days which he spoke had not yet expired, and he wanted to see if God would judge them despite their repentance. And then in verse 6, God appointed the weed or the plant. God used the plant to confront the fuming prophet. And then in verse 7, the worm was appointed to destroy Jonah's comfort and shade. In verse 8, the wind. Again, God appointed a scorching wind to disturb Jonah. All these things happen by the commands of God. And then in verse 9 comes God's word. God asks Jonah the penetrating question. Do you have the right to be mad about the death of a plant? And Jonah said, yes, I have the right. You know, sometimes when God challenges us, sometimes when God asks us a question, we come up with some of the dumbest answers. I mean, we come up with some of the most bizarre answers. Or we come up with some of the most silliest excuses. Well, it was the snake's fault. Well, it was the woman. Oh, wait, it was you, God. You gave me the woman. Jonah did nothing to produce the plant. He did nothing to grow the plant. He did nothing to save the plant. It was not Jonah's plant. It was God's. The people of Nineveh weren't Jonah's people. They were God's people. And he was being sent to do God's work. God asked all these, asked this question to show Jonah just how misplaced his values were. Two reminders, Jonah cared more of his personal comfort than he cared for the people of Nineveh. He also cared more about the plant than he did the people of Nineveh. He had a divided heart. You know, we see in the book of Job that God doesn't do well with why questions. But ultimately, God asks us, who do we think we are? When we should be realizing whose we really are. In verse 10 and 11, God's forgiveness reveals God's loving heart. God corrects Jonah for his lack of compassion. Jonah had no right to get angry over the plant. God clarifies his love and compassion, and God is a respecter of all persons. It's all about his will, it's all about his purpose, and it's all about our obedience. The book of Jonah ends abruptly with the question. 
And some scholars believe that the lack of Jonah's response is a clear indication that Jonah understood. I'm not so sure. I would like to think that Jonah would have said, I understand, and please forgive me. But we don't hear that. And if you keep up with Nineveh, Nineveh is ultimately a few hundred years later destroyed. But I'm betting Jonah didn't go to God and say, see, I told you so. You were wrong. God blessed those people that repented. He saved those people that repented. And I truly believe that he used Jonah just the way he needed to use him, knowing Jonah's heart. The way we fully understand ourselves is to truly compare our self-interest with God's sacrificial love. There's a simple cure for people who doubt God's love and grace. Just open God's word and examine the kind of people God uses, the kind of people God loves. Jacob wrestled with God. A murderer and adulterer gained a reputation as the greatest king in the Old Testament and a man after God's own heart. A missionary recruited from the ranks of Christian torturers. A person who could do such things was to become an apostle of grace and a servant of Jesus Christ. If God can use people like this, he can use people like us. God's grace means there's nothing that we can do to make him love us any more and nothing that we can do to make him love us any less. Even if I know in my head that I don't deserve it, his love, grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness invites all of us to take a place at the table of God's family. The gospel is not just for those to receive it, but it's for the salvation of all of humanity. We do not, desire, we do not decide who deserves it. We do not decide who gets it. But in Galatians, the first chapter, the 11th verse, we understand it better. Where Paul says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I never received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a hope in the moment of despair. There's a hope in the moment of fear. And that hope's name is Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad we have failed, God, because the scriptures are full of stories of God forgiving people and giving them that second and third chance. This is what's amazing about God's grace and mercy. This is the grace and mercy that Jonah received in the belly of the fish. Lorena. I want to close with this. I'm going to make a comparison between Jonah and Paul real quick. God does everything for a reason. God met Saul of Taurus on the road to Damascus with a purpose, his purpose in mind. Saul had planned to persecute Christians, but his encounter with Christ changed that forever. God did more than save Saul from his sin. God began to reveal his plan for Saul's life. God's assignment for Paul was clear. And we read in Acts that Ananias 
similar to Jonah, wants to question God. When Jesus tells him, Ananias, I need you to go to Straight Street, and there's a man there called Saul, and I need you to tell him that we're gonna, that I'm going to use him. He's going to be my vessel. And what is Ananias' first response? Do you know who this guy is? Questioning God, do you know who this guy is? This guy is a persecutor of believers. And he goes on with the excuse of why he shouldn't go. But the bottom line is, Jesus' response is one word, and I love this part. I'd love to have heard the tone. He just simply said to Ananias, go. He says this in Acts 9.15. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, Paul would be stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, mocked, conspired against, imprisoned, yet he stayed the course. He didn't run. We never hear Paul complaining about his assignment from God. He never asked to be given a different role. He didn't say, can I uh, be like Peter? Can I be like John? Can I be like James? He would say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We should have Paul's devotion to our Father's will. There is joy, folks, in obedience. There is trust in following him. We stand on the promises that he tells us in his word, and we do not walk in fear. We walk with him, wrapped in that love and grace and mercy that he has for us. 